Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, have you ever been faced with the challenge of sourcing, installing, and programming a used control module in a vehicle? I know a lot of us have. It seems to be happening more and more often today with the volume of control modules on vehicles, the cost of some new ones, or even the availability of new control modules. In some cases, used may be the only option. So what do you do here? I strongly recommend checking out SJ Auto Solutions and Tommy Oliva. Tommy offers a cloning service for used control modules to make these things plug and play for the vehicle that you're working on. In a lot of cases, he is also able to source the control modules if you're unable to locate one for the vehicle that you're working on. But once you get connected with Tommy, he's going to offer fantastic support from start to finish to make sure that that control module is going to work in your application. He's also got tech support that he offers through his website, along with some free resources there as well on information about used control module programming. So make sure to check out SJ Auto Solutions. I can't recommend that enough. I am happy to have Automotive Seminars as a sponsor for the show. Now, if you're not familiar, Automotive Seminars is a diagnostic technician training company. They've got a website that there'll be a link to in the show notes. And what they offer is top-notch training to technicians like us in the field. I've been taking their training courses for years and have got a ton of benefit out of it. They've got top-notch instructors, John Thornton, Scott Shotton, Scott Manna. And every other month, they've got a two-night course that you can sign up for. Join in, ask questions, and afterwards, you've paid for the course, you can access a recorded version whenever you want. You can rewatch the class two years later in case you wanted some details on it. And that is a fantastic feature. So make sure to check out the website to see what courses they have available and what's coming up in the future. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Today on the show, I'm having Zach McLean join me once again. He's been on the show a few times before. Uh, He's a mobile guy, does some locksmith work, programming work, diagnostics. We're going to talk all about that today, Uh, do some key stuff, key cutting machines, lock picking, that sort of stuff. But we're also going to focus mainly on customer relations and Of course, we're coming at it from the mobile perspective. We run mobile businesses, and our customers primarily are automotive repair shops. But this could easily transfer to auto repair shops servicing their customers as well. And what we're going to talk about today is the kind of relationship that you need to build with your customer in order to maintain their business for the long run, and also to get new customers as far as recommendations and word of mouth goes. But where do you draw the line when building that relationship, right? Because you can get a little too friendly, a little too buddy-buddy where you're almost doing favors for somebody because you're friends, right? And at the end of the day, this has to be business, right? We have to make a profit. We have to make decisions that are a positive thing for the business, but also at the same time have a good relationship with the customer, right? So it's a tricky thing to do, but that's the subject of our conversation today. So I think you'll enjoy this. I know I did. With that out of the way, let's jump into the episode. All right, there we go. How are we doing, Zach? Tired, another long day, but I'm here. We're recording an episode. I'm excited. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've been getting beat up a lot lately on cars. I'm, I've been uh, kind of just dragging on 
a lot, a lot, a lot of problem vehicles. I keep saying to shops, like, I'll go in, like, hey, how's it going? How's business? I'm like, well, these cars ain't getting any easier. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, the, the number of unique new problems I run into is just, is just wild. It's just crazy how, how much new stuff you see. And I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? There's a lot of cars out there. It's a lot of potential problems, but man, every single day seems to be something new. Absolutely. And one of the situations I hope to discuss tonight was a crazy wild car that ended up being not so crazy, but in the, in the moment it seemed crazy. So, well, that's usually how it goes, right? Like the end fix or the solution to it. It's like, Oh, it was just a, you know, loose pin or a broken wire or whatever. It's not that often something crazy, but when you're in it, you're like, this makes no sense. Like, how can this be doing the thing that it's doing with, the parts that I put in it already. It doesn't, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty standard for my day. <laughs> I've got, I've got a Ford Focus right now. It's absolutely kicking my ass. I don't have a solution on it yet because I have to go back to it. Um, it's a, uh, fuel pump driver module or, well, I should say the PCM set in a code because it's unhappy with the duty cycle that the PC or the fuel pump driver is sending out. But, I can't make this fuel pump driver happy. And we've put in a couple, one of which is from Ford and still the same thing. You can bypass it, pump will run, call will run all day. But if you have the driver module in, it'll run the pump for the initial prime when you cycle the key. And then it doesn't run it again until you cycle the key. And it sends out this 20% duty cycle, to the PCM on the feedback, which PCM says, oh, there's a problem. I'll set this code. But no matter what happens on the control circuit, which to me looks okay, and I even tried playing around with a signal generator, I can't seem to make this damn thing happy. And uh, I kind of ran out of things. I'm like, I don't really know what this driver module is upset about, or it's not seeing that it wants to see, or what voltage level needs to be where. So I was talking to some friends. I'm trying to get some known goods. So I'm wondering if it's like a weird voltage level, or... There's something where the code isn't fully descript on what the driver module is looking for. Like, is it something to do with the pump? Even though the pump works, is it like an amperage resistance voltage thing that it's seeing that it's going into a default mode? Um, but I have nothing to tell the shop. Like, I don't have the confidence to tell them to put a pump in it because the pump works. And then I don't have the confidence to put a PCM in it because the PCM is doing exactly what it's supposed to as far as I can tell. So, I don't know. That's the kind of fun things that I get to do. <laughs> I'm just going to consider myself lucky that I have not run into that particular issue yet. Well, it's like I've seen that system. Fords have the the feedback control on their driver modules for a long time. I'm I'm fairly familiar with it. You just need to know, you know, what the duty cycles are supposed to be for the control and the feedback. And the rest is pretty straightforward. And that's why this one was like... Like, this shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> like, what am I missing? And I'm sure it'll be something dumb, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out one way or another parts roulette or not. We'll, we'll solve that one. <laughs> Keep me updated. Cause I'm oh, dying for sure. to hear the, the resolution on that. Yeah. Yes, sir. I, I definitely will. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's challenging. It's frustrating in the moment, but that's why I do it. Right. You get on the other side of it and it's a good feeling to solve the problem. And, that's that's why that's why I like this stuff is the challenge, even though sometimes it's not lucrative business wise. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a dummy because it's like, why am I doing this? I could just go clock in and clock out of a shop and burn hours, and then I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd go crazy after the second set of ball joints. Like, yeah, yep. I'm done. Burn yep. the building to the ground. Get me out of here. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's it's tough to remember on those hard days that it could be worse. You could be slinging brakes and ball joints and bored out of your mind. Yeah, exactly. It's like, is the challenge that frustrates you is that is that better or worse than being bored out of your mind, sitting around with no work to do or oil changes and tires, right? And just monotonous work that you don't even really have to put any thought process into. And yeah, I'll, I'll take the thing that kicks my ass for sure. Me as well. What else have you been up to recently? Um, just a lot of locksmith work recently. 
the programmings, those have kind of taken over. I haven't been doing a whole lot of Diag. Uh, okay. A lot of locksmith work. I've been loving it, man. I did a Saab and a Volvo back-to-back like a week or two ago. Easy, gravy money. My favorite, some of my favorite cars to do. Uh, they make great profit. They, they take a little bit of time, but not too much. Um, and just other gravy keywords, Honda Ignitions, just the typical, if you've been a locksmith in the automotive industry for any length of time, you'll have seen all the stuff I did, add a keys here, all keys lost, simple stuff there. So, What uh, key cutting machine do you have? Uh, I used a Dolphin 2. I think okay. it was at the XP0052. The oh, you got me. The XP005. Yeah, it's X-Horse uses weird naming. So if you don't look it up by the model number, it's like, oh, which one do you want to look at? The dolphin, the panda. You're like, what? <laughs> so did they put a shield on the on the newer version of it for the shavings? The dolphin two does have a shield. Uh, okay. It's not perfect. There's still chips that get out, but it's far better than the original dolphin. Uh, they went to a single jaw rather than multi jaw, so you oh. have your high security and your standard double edge cut keys on the same jaw. You just rotate. Uh, it has a built-in LCD screen rather than having a dedicated app on your phone or the Keytool Max. Sure. So it's, in my opinion, a, a better machine. Feels like the battery life isn't as long, but eh, the trade-off's worth it. Okay. I um, so I used the first Dolphin for quite a while, and I I really liked it. I thought it was a great machine. Did exactly what I needed it to do. You know, it's I consider myself like a part-time locksmith because I'll go a week without doing any keys and then all of a sudden I'll get a bunch of them. But um, the volume for me has gone up recently too. And so I got another key machine because I wanted to have my second van able to do keys too. And my guy, Steve, he was just kind of the point where like he's up to speed on the stuff I already had him doing. And he was kind of ready to like take on some new learning, new skills, which was keys and so I gave the dolphin to him mainly because I know it pretty well and I can help him over the phone if he's got issues, right? I was I didn't want to buy him something new and I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it and then he has it. So I have the new machine and I got the I got the Triton off of Isaac's recommendation because I was talking to him like, hey, what do you recommend? Obviously, he knows that stuff really well and he was telling me to go with that. And kind of same idea. It's got the the screen built into the top of it. So you don't have to have a separate device. Um, there's no battery in that one, which motivated me to finally put my inverter in my van. I've been dragging my feet on that for so long, but having an inverter in my van is awesome. So it was, <laughs> it was a good decision. I can just plug stuff in now and keep all my stuff charged, which is fantastic. But yeah, so far I like it. It's been, it's been a good tool. And uh, I, I've only probably done maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 keys with it so far, but it's been been pretty good. Uh, but I like the XOR stuff too. I, I really do. Um, the uh, what feature the the fine bidding thing I always thought was fantastic. Like just to see like, am I close? <laughs> you know, like if you do the fine yeah. bidding and it doesn't come up with anything, you're like I better double check this. <laughs> I'm probably not even in the the right neighborhood. The only criticism that I really have on XOR's and <sighs> It's not an, a criticism so harsh that you shouldn't use the machines at all. It's just you need to know your tools. The fine bidding option, like you're talking about, or cut by bidding if you already want to put the bidding in rather than putting in a code or duplicating. On Honda in particular, they're really, really bad about flipping and flopping the A and the B track. So if you oh. know what the bidding is and you put it in, you know, assuming the top is the A row and the bottom is the B row or vice versa, what you're accustomed to doing, it actually inverts them. Um, and the other problem is it always seems to screw up Honda HON66 style blanks. Like I, I used to order them by the hundred. I think in this closet over here, there's at least a fresh hundred <laughs> HON66 blanks because you would always end up going through two or three test blanks until it finally cut the key. And what I found was the, I want to say it's the 1.5 millimeter cutter. Once I installed that cutter, it never really had that issue again. I've had it once or twice here and there, but I mean, the 1.5 millimeter cutter and knowing how the machine decodes what it considers A and B tracker, really the only two issues I've ever had out of the X-Horse. It's, it's always done really well for me other than those two minor complaints. 
That must be why, because I had heard people say, hey, I have all these problems with the Honda 66, and I never did, but that was the blade I usually had in there was the one and a half, and that just was luck. I had no no reason behind that. That's just the one that I put in there. Um, did you or do you have the the optical key reader that links up? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Couldn't live without it. Justin Robichaud, I, I mispronounces his last name. Please forgive me, Justin. But I went to Vision. He's like, you're not leaving until you order it. And I took him <laughs> to Waffle House. And we were all having a great time. And he's like, order it right now. And I sat there and ordered it right with Justin. And ever since then, I've never regretted it. It's 10 out of 10 worth it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for everybody listening who hasn't used it, it's like this little thing. You open it up, you put the key in, and it optically reads all the cuts and then links up to the machine as well. And uh, yeah, that thing's that's that's badass. I love that thing. So, but yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the ones that kick my ass the most. It's old GMs for sure. Uh, as far as like um, decoding a lock cylinder, doing an all keys loss or something like that. The old worn out lock cylinders and GMs where people actually use their keys in the door. I I just get my ass kicked reading those things. And so I the last one I did, I just pulled a lock cylinder, decoded it. I'm like, I don't know. This is just <laughs> this is a waste of time for me to try to read these cuts and not even come close, you know. I will yell from the top of any mountain about the virtues of Leashy and knowing how to actually do the trade of locksmithing. But when it comes to GMs, man, if I can get the ignition lock cylinder out, I, mm. I'll usually uh, jiggle it with a jiggler key and use something to press the sidebar and just pop the ignition right out. There's not even, it's not even worth trying to leashy some of them. And GMs in particular, the B102 keys for like the GMT 800 series trucks, you try to decode that, there'll be like 30 keys. It'll be like yeah, two right. cuts on this key, three cuts on the second yep, key, yep, yep. and you'll go. You'll spend your whole next two weeks cutting keys, and you could have popped that ignition lock cylinder out and been in and out 15, 20 minutes. Yep, for so sure. Don't even waste your time on those. Yeah, that's been the that's what I I've really had fun learning that side of things. Um, the, just like I said before, you know, a whole another challenge. Uh, that's not my background. Um, I have very little formal training on it. A couple classes here and there, but that has been. I honestly really enjoy doing that work and I I will take some extra time to do the leashy because I have some resources. Obviously, I mean, I can do the DSP thing, get key cut codes. Um, but, um, I mean, there's, there's paperwork and stuff involved with that, but like, I enjoy doing that work, um, figuring it out. It's almost like a little puzzle or something to, or, or, you know, those little, um, you can get those little, uh, mind teaser puzzles or whatever. It's like a little thing of interlocking blocks and you got to like take it apart and put it back together. It's it, That's that sort of same thing for me, which I really like doing that. I I enjoy the art of Leashy as much as I enjoy the utility of it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I've never purchased a Ford key code because I've always used a Leashy, but I know talking to my dealer parts people that if a vehicle's over 10 years old, Ford won't produce a, a key cut code, at least to the parts oh, department. Cause okay. I was trying to, to buy some parts and get them to give me the key code to my van. Cause I'm lazy and it doesn't <laughs> pay to leashy my Tibby key. Right. So I was oh, like, dude. whatever, I'll get a key code. And my 2010 transit connect was 13 years old. So like pound sand or call locksmith. Those are your two <laughs> options. I was like, dang, I got to call myself. <laughs> so, that's another reason. If you can't purchase a code, the leashy is far and away the best tool to have. So that's a whole different animal, in my opinion, is the Tibby leashy. I bought it, and the only time I've used it is learning on my own van because I got the same thing at 2010. And of course, you know, mine's super worn out too. I I kind of got it so that I can pick the locks. I would say fairly easy. Like it's not much to get the lock open. Decoding it again, especially with the, the worn out one, that I, I guess I would still have a challenge. But the whole cutting of the key too. Like I realize how, why they charge so much for those things. That was a freaking process to do the cutting of the Tibby key, and that was with the Dolphin. I don't know if other key cutting machines are faster, but man, that took forever. Rotate to position A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. B. And then you do it four different times. A, B. Is it A, B, C, and D? 
I think there's so, four depths. Yeah. So it's A, B, C, or D, and they have you do four sides of the key. So yeah, it's it's a long process. I don't enjoy cutting them. Right. So and well, every one of them, every one of them's worn out, like you said. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, lo- luckily my van has five locks on it so not all of them are as worn out but i i don't have power locks on mine so they all get some use my my employee's van has the actual remote built in so those weren't too bad but yeah i don't know that's the only time i've used it so if i don't get any calls on them i'm sure i'll get one tomorrow but yeah you'll get 12 and you'll get an eight cut tibby you're gonna get a jaguar (laughs) that someone's gonna call you for just because you said that you probably don't have a six cut tibby pick Probably, yeah, I think that's what it is, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, fun. Well, cool, man. Um, You wanted to join me on the show. You brought up a pretty good idea for a discussion. And uh, I don't know, I probably just let you kind of explain the idea of what you wanted to talk about, and we kind of take it from there. So, as you mentioned at the very beginning – there's some pitfalls to customer relations and how you interact with customers, right? Um, when you're interacting with your customers, whether they be retail customers for key jobs or, you know, retail repair shops or, you know, body shops, whatever the case may be, every interaction you have with them, you can be transactional where, hey, you called me to do X, that costs Y, I'm here, I did X, please pay me Y, or, hey, you called me because you wanted a programming on this module. Are you sure you want me to program this module? Because I don't know if that's going to fix your complaint. Let us have a discussion to discuss which services I offer meet your needs the most and what is the best choice for you and your budget. And it can very quickly devolve into, hey, Tim, you know, I just, my gut's saying we shouldn't do this, we should do that, or... Let me pull into the bay and fill up air on my tire real quick. And you get friendly. And before you know it, they're wanting stuff for free. You're wanting stuff for free. So I I see a a tightrope that we can walk down with customer relationships and operating from a transactional mindset or a relational mindset. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I have definitely struggled with that growing my business and I feel that a lot of the success of my business is because I built good relationships with a lot of the shops that I service, but it, it's been a detriment at times. It's been a thing where I definitely take the hit at times because maybe may you get a little too friendly with shops, right? Or it's – you almost treat some of these these guys, the shop owners or the techs or whoever you're dealing with as your friends because you do interact with them you know, so frequently. It's like your coworkers almost. Like you see them every single week. It's good interactions. They are good people. But where is that line in business? Because you got to be careful because I do have to run a business, you know, and it, it, it has to be a business at the end of the day in, in order to be profitable. It can't be buddy doing favors all the time for everybody. And so I, I've definitely struggled with it because I lean more towards the like, hey, I'm your friend. I'm going to help you out. <laughs> but ST Mobile needs to make some money. How do you how do you define that line? How do you wa- walk that tightrope? You know, that's a question I've asked myself a lot over my almost two years. This month marks two years of me being in business with my for myself. And I think the thing that really set it off, this whole discussion came to mind after I had a scenario with a uh, a customer, retail customer, somehow ended up with my phone number. And she was adamant that she wanted a PCM update for her Ford 500, I think is what it was, uh, Duratec V6, you know, typical run-of-the-mill Ford. And she told me a big, long story, as I'm sure we all hear when we look at a customer complaint on a repair order or speak to a customer in person about losing power and the terrible experience that she's had up to this point. And I said, ma'am, I totally empathize. I understand when you have a car, it's your only car and it breaks down. This is very traumatizing, but I don't typically see updates fix cars without some sort of information leading us in that direction, like a technical service bulletin or someone performed a diagnosis and has found an update 
and that's associated with these symptoms, are you sure you want to proceed? And here's what the price is. If you would rather me try to diagnose the issue, here's what this price is. I want you to make an informed decision. And of course, she had told me she was a single mom and bleeding heart me, the little guy on my shoulder was like, help, help. You're a horrible person if you don't help this poor single mom. And then the business owner over here is like, it doesn't matter. We have to make a profit. And both of them are in a way kind of right. And she was adamant. So I went up to the car. I did the programming. Sure enough, didn't fix her issue. Um, and when I was done, I just did a quick road test. She drove the car. I looked at some scan data and I was confident, pretty confident that we had a breathability issue. And I said, ma'am, I don't know what had happened up to this point. Maybe you've you know, just inherited this car. She told me she got it from her grandmother a year or two ago. And maybe it's had issues in the past that have created a restriction in the exhaust, like misfires and melted down a cat. I said, I can't really afford to stay here any longer today. I have other appointments, but I think you have, you know, a breathing issue on this engine. Next step from here is check pressure or drop the exhaust, have your mechanic friends drop the exhaust and see if it drives better. And sure enough, I heard from, I heard from the lady about a week later and the, the cats are restricted, but that situation brought up this discussion with me and another friend, Brian Stone. And it really made me think about when you interact with a customer, if you interact from a place of trying to build a relationship before you make the sale, I truly think that ends up with happier customers, more referrals and better business. So I'll shut my flap now. No, I 100% agree. And like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the success that I've had with mine, it was based off of that is having good relationship with people. And I didn't have to do still really haven't done much marketing, right? It's all been word of mouth because I'm treating people right and, and building some good relationships with them. Um, and, and I like it too. Like for the most part, I've been. I've been very lucky. There are exceptions for sure. There always will be. But for the most part, the shops that I've dealt with, the people who run them, um, it's generally smaller shops. You know, independent repair shops is really who I service for the most part. There's a couple dealerships here and there. But it's been real down-to-earth people that are just trying to make a buck too and run a business. You know, a lot of these are the owners, they're the business owners. And so we can relate on a lot of things together. And I mean, I will say, you know, I did this for a long time as a technician too, and I had great customers there, but I find it much, much easier to have that relationship with another person who understands the industry or what we're doing, right? Like we both get it. Like, Hey, it, it's tough to own a shop. Hey, it's tough to do mobile diag and programming. We get it. And so we'll kind of, you know, help each other out or cut each other some slack here and there. Um, but yeah, it, it is, like I mentioned, it's, you, you want to be careful with that. You don't get too, you know, too friendly. Cause what I found myself doing with certain people that I had really become genuinely like friends with, like we, you know, we'd stay in contact outside of work, send each other, you know, messages and stuff like that is like, you want to help them out wherever you think you can, because they're your friend, right? That's what I would do for my friend, right? Hey, this, this diag was super easy. It was just a connector that was unplugged, right? This took me five minutes to find. Like now I feel bad charging this guy. Like normally I don't really feel that bad. Like, Hey, call me out here. That's, I fixed your problem, blah, blah, blah. But this is my buddy, right? Like, oh man, like I, I feel bad charging my full, my full fee. Now I've gotten better about that. And like I mentioned, it's really about understanding that, Hey, he's a business owner. He understands. I'm a business owner. Let's, let's come to this agreement. But that's, that's where I definitely felt myself kind of, um, having a negative effect from getting too friendly with people or having that, that friendly relationship with my customers. So it's, it's a weird one. I, I definitely see some benefit to it though. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to have the word of mouth 
spread around any other way than like you would if you have that positive relationship with people you're doing work for. Absolutely. And I know I brought up a retail customer, but I've had this experience not only with retail customers, but with my shop customers. Cause I do have, you know, shops that I work for. They surprisingly enough, they refer me to a ton of retail customers for other things like keys, but it has made a huge difference with the relationships that I have built. And the other scenario I want to talk about, this particular shop has sent me an untold amount of customers. Uh, people that didn't want to tow their car there, so they called me to have me come out and program it. Doesn't hurt my feelings, you know. Anyways, the relationships that I have built with these shops have allowed me to grow as a business and allowed me to, excuse me, help turn lemons into lemonade in some uh, situations, help one of my shops out and another shop out at the same time. So uh, that other scenario, I think, is going to be an interesting... Maybe I went out of my way to help both of my customers, but uh, it was an interesting way I felt that I helped a customer in a bad situation and helped a customer win just for winning. Uh, and it was all because of those relationships. Had I not built them, I wouldn't have been able to call my other customer like, hey, I've got this situation, which you'd be interested and tell my other customer, hey, this shop that I do business with, they're interested in buying X. So um, I, I think those relationships are great for marketing and they're great for when situations go south, you might be able to make them go back north again. Yeah, so. right. Um, the The thing about treating somebody right and you don't know what that person might do for you in the future business wise. And I've had that same experience where I just, you know, was doing my best to provide the best service I can friendly, be respectful, get the job done that. And then that particular person, for whatever reason, they have the connections or they end up knowing you know, certain people are in a certain position and then, yeah, you've gotten all kinds of business just from that one interaction or that one. In, in some cases, it was that for me. It's just like one or two jobs that I did with one person and they ended up leaving where they were at, but going to something bigger or more widespread. And then all of a sudden they're getting all kinds of calls. And I can think of a handful of people that have been like that. And it wasn't my intention at the time. You know, I wasn't being nice to them. Oh, okay, well, this will be really great for business in five years. It just sort of happened that way. But it's a good reminder too. like, hey, don't be a dickhead because you don't know where that person, you know, might end up or what role they might be in or what it might bring for you. Um, and, and so it's worked out for me pretty well. I mean, and I mean, to be totally honest, that's kind of my default anyways. I just, I try to be a positive, nice person to everybody that I interact with. Um, and it's worked out for me for the most part. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple, um, yeah, one in specifically, you know, he ended up becoming like an area manager with the Firestone Tires Plus stores around here and another one where he, it works at a, uh, distributor or, uh, a builder for transmissions. And so then all those transmissions go out to the shops and then he recommends me to go program them. And that, that was never planned. That just kind of worked out that way. And I was like, wow, okay, this is really cool. And just by being, being kind to somebody and, and, you know, being respectful and helpful and that's all it took. Right. Yeah. And I mean, funny enough, I've, I've had shops that will lose a tech and they'll go to another shop. I never knew where they went. They just disappeared into the yep. nothing. I'm like, hey, where's Brian at? And they'd be like, oh, he just quit on Thursday. We haven't seen him. And then two weeks later, I'm getting a call from another shop. Hey, uh, Brian works here. And he said that you can, you know, program TCMs, GM trucks. Is that true? Like, absolutely, man. What, what do you need when? Yep. And you show up there. And, hey, Brian, didn't know you moved here, man. And, you know, it, it can spread everywhere. Treat everyone as you would like to be treated. The golden it applies to not just business, but life in general. And it has helped me out because I've had experiences from the early days of my career where I was in a shop and we had a, a mobile guy come by and he wouldn't even look at you. You walk mm -hmm. up to him and be like, Hey man, that's some cool software. What are you, what are you using? And he'd be like, Oh, I'm busy. Leave me alone. 
and I have done a complete 180. If a tech comes up to me, hey man, what are you doing? Like, hey dude, check this out. It's SPS2, man. I'm using MDI2. We replaced this PCM, so we have to go in here. We have to we have to flash with SPS2. And I'll I'll tell them anything they want to know. If they want to ask questions, I'm here to, to tell you anything and everything you want to know, man. If I can help you, you're interested, go learn. It doesn't hurt my feelings. And a lot of guys, after you start digging in, they're like, ah, whatever. I want to go put on ball joints. But okay, man. Yep. Take off. But uh-huh. th- there's been younger kids that have come up to me, and they seem genuinely interested. And what else am I going to do when you're beep, boop? Hey, we've got 12 <laughs> minutes. Let's talk. Yep. So that, I think, it makes it a more pleasurable experience for me and the shops and the technicians when I show up. Because I know guys now. It's, hey, man, you know, I hope you're having a good day. And, I mean, just the smallest stuff. Hey, did you see the game? Whatever. It doesn't have to be, hey, let's go have beer on Saturday night at the bar. It's just treating people like people and yep. not showing up and being a robot and get away from me. I'm here to charge my 180 bucks and leave. Right. So well, it I, I think it's easier to interact with people on a friendly level too. You know, like absolutely. you say, you're going into all these shops and it's like you have a ton of coworkers, right? And you're going to go to all the different spots with your coworkers every single day. You might as well be friendly and have a good interaction with them rather than, yeah, just grumpy and don't talk to me. Right. I mean, I've worked with people like that in a shop too. And I know, you know, that, that sucks as well to work with somebody who's just a, you know, just a negative drain on the energy of the place. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that person. And yeah, the, the techs go into other shops. That's been a huge, huge thing for getting more business. There's an, a ton of places I'll go. Oh, it's funny when you go to a different shop and you see a tech, but you're like, I didn't think you worked here. He's like, oh, I didn't until a couple months ago. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, they, they move around like crazy. And then it's like, I was like, wait, I thought you worked over at blank. Oh yeah. Yeah. Moved over here and this and that. So, um, that's been, that's been definitely a big one for getting more business. Yeah, and it's the smallest gestures, man. It, it just isn't some you know grandiose. I'm giving away free diags to everybody for X, or you know all new customers. We're not doing anything like that. We're just talking general human interactions, being kind, having respect, and trying to build a relationship with your customer rather than being the guy that's X dollars. Like, oh, don't call Zach. He's $200. It's like, you know, Zach could probably really help us out. Remember that last time he really got us out of a bind? And, you know, it's it changes the whole atmosphere, how you interact with your customers and the way you treat them when things go wrong versus when things go right and vice versa. So, mm-hmm. well, and being, uh, being honest, um, you know, I, I try to do that as much as possible, too. There's a lot of times you know, a shop will call me for an update, you know, very common, especially on like a Ford where it's from what I found a little bit more difficult to check beforehand, whether it actually needs the update or not. And sometimes it doesn't You plug in, Hey, this module's fully updated. Right. And just being honest about that. I'm like, Hey, this doesn't need the update. Um, you know, I got to charge you my trip fee, but I'm not going to charge you for a whole programming where, you know, a lot of these places, they they don't really have a clue on the technical side as to what's happening. I'm sitting in the car. It must be getting programmed, right? Oh, okay. There's my, you know, 180 bucks or whatever for doing the programming. Um, and so I've always tried to be honest there. And I think that that's definitely helped, right? Like they're like, Oh, well, thanks for letting me know and not, you know, not charging me for this, this update that obviously didn't need. Um, that that's been a big one and you build up that trust with people and it pays off. I actually, I had a shop. This was actually a few years ago, but, um, he called me up while he was on vacation and his shop was closed or he didn't have his tech there that day or whatever. He's like, dude, we got this car. It's really in a pinch. Um, I'll tell you where the key is. If you just go in there and just put the piece, plug the PCM into this car, program it. We got to get this thing out for this guy. I'll pay you double, whatever. But he was like, cool with me going, unlocking his shop. And I was a little uncomfortable about it. He's like, no, don't worry about it, man. Like, uh, I just, we got We got to help this customer out and I really appreciate it. But I was actually more taken back that he was like trusting me. Like he didn't know me outside of programming cars for him that he'd give me the keys to the shop and go in and put the module in this car, back it out and get the keys to the customer. Like I was like, 
All right, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. And I took care of him. And he's been he's been a fantastic customer for almost as long as I've been doing this. Like tons and tons of business, and it's been that's been a great relationship. One of my very first customers. Uh, it's a transmission shop in Springdale, Arkansas. They're great guys. Absolutely adore doing business with them. And back to relationships. I've called him before doing a dive. Like, hey, Mike, this is what I'm seeing. I've looked at X, Y, and Z. I'm pretty confident this is the Diag, but will you run back through it with me and make sure that I'm not crazy? He's done it for me, and in the same token, when he's had issues with electrical problems, they don't typically call me to diagnose, but hey, let me run this by you real quick, make sure I'm thinking correctly. Those relationships that you build don't just have to be for the particular business you're doing, programming or transmissions. You can help each other, but they call me all the time, and it's last minute. And they close at five, but they absolutely have to have the job done. And the customer will pick it up at I don't know, 8, 39 p.m. at night because they've already paid. I'll swing in. They'll leave the keys outside. I'll program it. Good to go. Mm-hmm. And there's that trust. You know, they trust that I'm going to get the job done. I know I can get there not before they close, but before the customer comes to pick up the car or whatever the case may be. So having those relationships opens the door to creative solution finding that may not, you know, fit the eight to five, you know, rigid, sure. got to operate this specific way. So yeah. it's been, it's been an interesting experience. Now, with all this being said, have you experienced a situation where you've been taking advantage or someone's attempting to take advantage of that, right? Like, Hey, I want to build a good relationship with you. I want to be um, as helpful as I can. This and all the stuff we're talking about. And then somebody who is just, they're not necessarily reciprocating or even considering that they're just like, okay, well this I can use to my advantage and I'm going to squeeze it for everything it's worth. Now I've definitely run into people like that and it's taken me a little bit of wherewithal to recognize when somebody's just trying to, just trying to squeeze me because I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm being nice to them. Absolutely. Um, the only time I've ever not been paid by a shop was a situation like that. So I had, I had done work for this customer. This was probably my first six to eight months in business. And I had done work for him here and there, and then it started to pick up. And I started doing work for them a lot, like three times a week minimum I'd be at that shop. Uh, it was a great account. I loved the money I made. I was very accustomed to the people there. I knew everyone. They all knew me. It worked great. Until some circumstances changed and money wasn't as free-flowing anymore at the particular shop. And I'm not going to go into deep detail, but I decided instead of collecting payment directly after service was performed, that I would allow this customer to drag an entire week out. You know, hey, you've always taken good care of paying me. You've always been honest. You've always treated me well. There were some other circumstances, but the point remains, I drug out a couple invoices until there was almost $1,500 worth of open invoices, and things blew up when I showed up to get paid, and that customer's gone forever, and great. I'm so happy that that's all it cost me, right? But that was a $1,500 lesson in that tightrope walk. What is being a friend to your customer, and what is having a great relationship? And Mm -hmm. that taught me you have to have clear policies. You have to have clear procedures. You don't break them for anyone, period, end of story. If Sean Tipping called me today and said, hey, I just need you to program a module, I'm still going to have the discussion about what expectations there are, what the price is. I'm getting paid right after the job. You know, it doesn't matter. There's those procedures. And I learned $1,500 was cheap tuition to learn that lesson. But it was a case of being taken advantage of because I got too friendly and too trusting with the customer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely been, definitely been the case for me. Um, not so much on the payment side, although there's been a few where it's been, it's, it's kind of run out that bill. Like they're still calling you like, eh, I've eventually just had to say to some people like, Hey, I can't come back out there until you pay me. Um, and I haven't experienced one that went under yet, but I could see that happening with a, yeah, a few shops that are racking up the bills. Um, but for me, it, a lot of the time it's been on the, on the diagnostic side of the things where, 
they're really trying to really, like I say, just kind of squeeze out a little extra bit. Like it's for like two different problems, right? Hey, the radio and the backup camera don't work. And, you know, like just try to like work their way to like, oh, yeah, you can just help me out. And, you know, they're probably related because, you know, this and that. And I've been much better lately at being more strict about that type of thing. But it was, you know, it was an area in the past where I would just kind of be like, oh, okay, well, you know, this this wasn't too bad to figure out the second problem. We'll just build them for one diag or something like that. And that that's the sort of stuff that I've been better at being fair to myself. And I think that's probably something that I would recommend anybody keep at, you know, top of mind when you're going into situations like this is like, hey, let's be fair to the customer, but make sure you're being fair to yourself too. Otherwise, there's really there's no point in doing this to, for compensation. Like you got to you got to take yourself into consideration too. And again, this all comes down to personalities. Some people listening to this might be like, "What are you talking about?" But for me, I, I'm generally a person like my default is maybe to like take that little bit of a hit to help somebody else out. Right? That's just I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like, "Oh, I'm all virtuous" or anything. That's just how I am. That's that's how I developed as a person and so i'll go that little extra mile if somebody need i feel needs that help or wants that help but i gotta ask myself like hey sean are you are you being fair to yourself in this situation and a lot of times it's not the case absolutely and i think that leads perfectly into the last scenario or situation that i think really applies to this discussion um a shop that i they're one of my probably top five shops that I go to called me because they put a, a Jasper reman engine in a Silverado and it okay. was deleted DOD. So it doesn't have any of the collapsible lifters. It, it comes from Jasper with no DOD. Yeah, and they were, get away with that. I, I'm just as curious as probably anybody else is to know how, but I'm sure it's a very boring, dry explanation. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyways, this customer was trying to do the DOD delete, and they said they were able to get the initial read using the little HP Tuners rebranded device that they give you, but after that initial read, the ECM, excuse me, and the TCM were no calm. So they wanted me to come and give it my best shot. So I, I told them, hey, sounds to me like you want a diagnosis. Let's start with diagnosis. Went to the shop. Um, Confirmed their complaint, of course, first step in diagnostic process. Once I confirmed the complaint, I just went through my traditional process, checked for communication, couldn't communicate, checked terminating resistance, terminating resistance was good. Um, long story short, I assumed, big, big word there you should never do, I assumed when they put this engine in that they didn't leave anything loose. This shop is top-notch, okay? I've never, ever caught them in a situation where they have left the ground loose, left the connector unplugged, anything like that. These guys are 10 out of 10 top-notch. But what I did not know at that particular moment was the employee that did the engine swap was injured three-quarters of the way through the engine swap. So mm. the owner and another tech were flip-flopping back and forth to do catch-up to get the engine installed. And the second assumption was they must have bricked it using aftermarket software like HP tuners. Yeah, simple. Let's not waste a bunch of time here. You know, 30 minutes, we'll, we'll cut our diag in half. I don't want to cost you any more than I'm already going to cost you. Here we go again with trying to be helpful. And they got an ECM. They got a TCM. They put them in the vehicle, didn't fix it. So went back. I said, no more. This never happened. Started over from scratch. And not even 10 minutes, I found a, a ground wire that was tucked up behind the uh, the driver's side, like underneath the cylinder head between the head and the exhaust manifold. Sure enough, clamped that thing down with a vice grip, turned it on. I could talk to everything. Who knows what happened from the moment they hooked up the HP tuners, rebranded device till I got there. But the point remains, I made two assumptions. I didn't I, did, I trusted someone to do the job previous to me correctly. Mm -hmm. And then two, just assume some software nuked a module. Cause we've all seen software nuke modules, people break stuff. 
And I was trying not to run up a bill because I didn't want to cost my customer any more time or money. So that's a negative, right? How I was able to turn this around is they were able to return the engine controller because it, it we won't go into how, but it was brand new when it got put back in the box. Okay. And the, the TCM is unreturnable, right? But I said, hey, go ahead and plug the old TCM in. Just make sure it communicates. Everything's good. I'm going to go make a phone call while you do that. And when I come back, I think I might have a way to make some ground up on this TCM. They said, okay. Went outside, and I called my transmission shop. I said, hey, I've got X part number. It's an AC Delco, brand new module that's been replaced. Um, this place is going to have to send back something as a core. So how about you give me a bad six-speed TCM for a core, and they sell you this TCM that they just bought for a pretty awesome deal. And he said, sold. So I was able to get my customer core money back by sending a bad TCM from my transmission shop back in as a core. And then during the course of my day, I was able to, you know, exchange checks and, and parts so my shop ended up not having to eat as much of a bad situation, which was partially both of our faults, right? But I was able to somewhat turn lemons into lemonade. And that shop was so thankful to me that I even took the time to try to help them dig out of that hole because was it really something that could have been prevented? The poor kid that was working on it got hurt. Stuff happens. We all misdiagnose stuff. If anybody mm -hmm. says they don't, they're lying. I screwed up because I didn't follow process and assumed that this shop was so good I wouldn't have to go back and check stupid basics. But I, I ended up helping two customers at the same time. My customer basically got a half-off TCM that he could use, got rid of a bad core. My customer got a little bit of money on top of their core charge. And I did charge them for my diagnostic time, but I did give them a bit of a discount because I wasted some time making assumptions. So mm -hmm. I, I still got paid. That line's in the sand. I can't operate a business if I don't make profit. But I didn't take the whole time because some of that time that I spent, I don't feel should have been built, right? That was a mistake on my part. But after it was all said and done, I still earned a profit. Both of my customers ended up with a positive outcome. Everybody won, even though it was kind of a you know turd sandwich, so to speak. I tried to sprinkle some seasoning on it, so it was a little easier <laughs> to, to chug down. And that, all of my customers are stoked, happy as can be. Mm -hmm. I get to wear the dunce hat for you know breaking my own process, breaking my own procedures. But th without those relationships, I don't think I could have remotely come close to pulling that type of situation off within 10, 15 minutes, a phone call and, Hey, here's what we're going to do. So, yeah. yeah, boy, it's, it's good to have those resources too. I got a couple of transmission shops that I'll call if I'm in the middle of a diagnostic on something and I'm like, I don't know how all the internals of this transmission work or how does this torque converter, you know, flow through this valve body work. And I call these guys and they're just like, yeah, check this. Here's how this works, blah, blah, blah. And they're totally just willing to help me out with that information. And kind of the same thing for me too. They'll call and say, Hey, programming wise, you know, can I, can I do this? Can I put this into this? So, okay. Yeah. No, I'm, you know, I'm fine helping them out there. And you, you like, you build up that, that trust in people too, doing good work and doing things for them where you can. And then when it comes to a bad situation, like you're talking about, which I've been into, like, hey, modules brick every once in a while, right? I've had that happen. GM TCMs, um, some ECMs and stuff, like stuff happens, right? Stuff turns into brick. Sometimes you can recover it. Sometimes you can't. But in cases where, hey, that, that module is dead to the world, uh, there's been three or four times I can think of where I've offered to the shop, hey, I'll pay for this, right? This happened while we were doing it. Our fault or not, maybe it was TLC. It was in one case, but I was like, hey, this is on us. I'll pay for this. I have yet to have a shop actually take me up on that. They're like, no, don't worry about it, man. We'll take care of it. And whether they're warrantying it out or whatever they're doing, they're just like, hey, man, we, we appreciate what you do for us. This is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. We'll just get another one. And I feel like, I mean, who knows, but I feel like if I was just, you know, 
cold, hard business dickhead every single time I went in. Maybe that's not the case, right? Maybe then I'm buying a TCM in that case. But um, in the cases that it's happened, it's been it's been good. And they're just like, no, don't worry about it. We'll get you know, we'll get you on the next one, and we're we're all good. Um, yeah, um, I definitely think it's worthwhile to to build that that trust up with shops. Yeah, and. Be careful when you build relationships, don't turn them into friendships, yeah. but don't always be the, the guy who, when someone calls and they want X, you just be like, okay, it's this much, go do it, plug in, program it, oh, didn't fix your problem, audio, see you later, don't, when you're that guy, the word will spread, that one negative interaction can turn into a large amount of people thinking negatively of you, yeah. so. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, what um, what is the uh, the crazy vehicle that you want to talk about? That that Silverado, man. Like oh, it, was, it was the Silverado. Okay. Yeah. It so that ground. It was like it was intermittently making contact. So the check engine light would flash. It, it was doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, I can't remember all. I should have saved screenshots, man. It was it was nutty. They showed me screenshots of like HP tuners, and I were able to read it. So my thought hmm. process, it must have been that that was just making enough contact that they were able to do that initial read, and then I think it failed going, like, halfway through the TCM read. And that's why my gut was like, ah, oh, it's bricked. And even they, were, when they first called me, said, hey, we think we bricked something. So I was letting that customer steer my diagnostic approach from the get-go, and these are great people. I've helped them out. It's like, hey, we've been in this situation. Got any silver bullets, right? Like, hey, you know, I, I have seen this gold, whatever. Um, and the same case is true. I've called them like, hey, I've got this really strange drivability fault because these guys do a lot of drivability, and they've thrown me some bones. So that relationship can bite you. And the fact that I didn't step back and say, hey, walk away. I don't want to hear anything at all. Tell me the no communication, got it. We're going to start there. Um, when I came back the next day, that's when I had that fresh slate. Like, nope, don't talk to me. I'm going to go over here in this corner. Yep. Leave me alone. I'm setting a timer for one hour. Don't come. Don't want to hear anyone. Don't want to see anyone. I need to start over. Yep. And 10 minutes. It took me 10 minutes. As soon as I heard the relay clicking, I was like, eh, something's not right. Went, started checking powers and grounds. And sure enough, found the high voltage on the ground. I was like, ah, that's not right. And found the ground location, stuck my arm in there. Boop, out comes a cable. Yep. So it was just, it was really strange. It was flashing, check engine light, relays were clicking. So. Yeah, me and Steve have that kind of, we, we do sort of a rotation and we try to limit it to an hour where we're on something. And if one of us stuck, we'll rotate somebody else in. And, you know, sometimes it is good for you to come back to it. You already know what's going on, but that f fresh set of eyes on it and like, Hey, here's what I experienced, but Hey, you take a look at this and just see, and that's worked out quite a bit is we'll, we'll kind of set somebody up with a problem and what we found or what wall we're up against, but having the second person come in fresh and jumping into it, that has gotten us through a lot of problems too. So it's nice to have a second person to, to fall back on. Um, that is one area actually that has been challenging is, you know, I built the business up. It was just me for the first four years that I was doing it. And every time I go to do work, it's Sean, right? And so the kind of trust that we've been talking about it doesn't immediately extend to a new person, right? So I have somebody doing my phones now and I have had Steve since February doing the the work, the half the work in a second van. And that's been really challenging, especially with certain shops. Some places are okay with it, but then there's certain shops who are really distrusting of him. And for no real reason other than the fact that he's not me. <laughs> and I tell him like, Yes. Okay. Th this is what Steve said is. This is what it needs. Or just programming in general. I have one shop that calls me and asks me like, Did I don't think Steve programmed it right. I'm like, no, there's the screenshot. It's the same thing I would have done. Well, can you just come check it? I'm like, I don't need to come <laughs> check it. Like, here's the screenshot from TLC. And it's weird how that, uh, you know, 
it, it's almost like it was to my detriment in certain cases to build that up because then I want to bring somebody else in that's not Sean and oh boy, what does he know what he's doing? But, you know, um, that's been that's been a challenge for me and I'm I'm doing my best to overcome it and I think it's just a time thing in a lot of cases, right? He's just gotta he's got to be in there and start at, you know you start at the bottom and you work your way up with that trust factor with his shops. So, but that is that that's been interesting for me. That's something that I've been on the the lookout for is the thought of expansion or the thought of hiring an employee and slowly moving away from working in to on the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good friend that's close to me. He's a tech. He does awesome at diagnostics. He can do programming. He's limited more so in the tooling than he is the knowledge. He just he doesn't have the money to just, oh, I'm just going to go buy an MVP, right? Um, they're back in stock. I don't know. Does TSP still say that? The MVPs are back in stock. Um, anyways, he's a great guy. I'd hire him in a heartbeat, right? But the the issue that I face is how do I roll or phase that in? I have to have enough money set aside to continue to pay him until I get the ball rolling. I'd love for him to ride with me for at least a month. That yeah. way I'd be like, hey, you know, this is so-and-so. I'm not going to name him just in case the shop owners listen. Like, hey, this is so-and-so. He's an awesome guy. I've known him for years. He's going to start running routes. So you need to be able to recognize him. So when you call, this is the guy you're going to see sometimes. Yeah. And then getting that ball rolling, it sounds like you are thinking the way I would like to think, taking me out of a van, putting me into a dispatching and management role, then hiring a dispatcher, you know? And yeah. Then you, the person on the phone isn't Sean. They're like, whoa, who are you? Because uh-huh. they call and speak directly to me, and they're going to feel very uneasy when they hear a different voice. And it's yep. all these stumbling blocks. I'd have to be on the phone with this dispatcher. Hey, it's Zach, but we're going to talk to John. John's my dispatcher, and we're training this week. You know, get him used to it. So that, yeah. that's my big fear is customer relations, and then as you grow, taking your personal touch off of it. And some people won't care at all, and others will. It's going to be like pulling teeth, right? And exactly for the reasons of what we've been talking about, right? All the stuff that we're talking about building up, it's personal, right? It's between you and that shop, or you and that other person. And so you are you're kind of taking that away a little bit when you introduce a different person that's either doing the work or answering the phones, and. I kind of did both. You know, I, I hired my guy to run the van and then I was kind of considering, okay, do I go with the second van? And I, I went the other route as I hired somebody to do the business side of stuff for me. <laughs> Cause I, I, we hear that all the time, right? Work, work on the business, not in the business. Okay. And, and uh, maybe I'll learn my lesson someday, but I don't want to do that. I still want to fix the cars. That's what I'm good at. It's what I enjoy. So I'm going to hire somebody that can do that stuff for me. And I'm going to go out and work the cars and I can have the final say on stuff. And right. I'm involved with the decisions, but like, Hey, you business this thing for me and I will fix the cars. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's worked out good for me, but there are growing pains, right? Um, like you say, the phone calls, it's not Sean anymore. It's Mike. But my day is so tremendously easier not having to answer the phone every what seemed like five minutes for another conversation for somebody who just wants some help and friendly, you know, um, it, it's been such a such a great thing for me. So it's like it's worth that growing pain to get some help in there and get some assistance. And And he's learning, right? He doesn't have an automotive background. That was a big challenge for me. So I did. I had him drive around with me for the first couple of weeks and introduce, hey, this is Mike. This is who you'll talk to. And he's very personable, which is a good factor. But when he'll call me, be like, what's an APIM? He called me the other day. He's like, I've never heard of such a thing. Like The shop wants to know if we can program one. And I have like a module reference sheet for him, but he doesn't know the lingo, right? And that's been, that's been tough, but you know, it's, that's growing a business. You just gotta, you gotta train people in and work through the stumbling that's going to happen inevitably and look towards the bigger picture of like, this is going to be really good once everything's in place and everybody has an idea of what's going on. Yeah. And it sounds like all the different aspects that have been talked about on your podcast, other automotive podcasts, like diagnostic process and having procedures and following all of those processes and procedures and 
they all tie in, right? Everything's interconnected. Yep. And it's very hard to separate the conversation in any one particular way. But yes, it, they all interconnect. And taking those growing pains and just working through them, I think you're, you're all better off for it. Me, as I continue to grow, you as you continue to grow, those five-minute conversations eat up 15 minutes of your time. There yeah. went a quarter of your hour that you were just diagnosing that was billable time. It just rolls yep. on and on and on and on. So, Yep. I remember the day where I decided I'm going to I'm gonna go for this. I was in a car for 45 minutes and I hadn't done anything on the car, just answer my phone calls. And I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, what am I doing? And uh, yeah, it's been, been absolutely amazing to not have that phone ringing off the hook all day. I'm so much more focused on what I'm doing. And like I say, it's what I enjoy doing is out there like – you know, elbow deep in it. <laughs> that's what, that's what, I, that's what Sean wants. And maybe someday that'll change and I'll sit behind a desk or something, but not anytime soon. Well, as long as you're happy at the end of the day, that's what we're in business for, for ourselves for. We want to exactly. be happy when you go to work. So if, if you're someone that wants to sit on the beach and sip a fruity drink with a, you know, little umbrella in it, and that's your goal by all means. But if you want to stay in the trenches, have at it, man. As long as you're happy, that's what we all do this for. Yes, sir. Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks for uh, spending some more time with me. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Hopefully my ramblings and strange drawn together thoughts end up being edited to sound somewhat thought (laughs) out. So, All right, that is going to do it for today's episode. Big thank you to Zach for joining me on the show. Always appreciate it. Uh, It's always great to talk to Zach. Hopefully you enjoyed that as well, but I'd also like to give a thank to everybody listening to the show, all the feedback that I've gotten about the show. It's all been great, so keep it coming. With that all out of the way, though, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.